Good morning, everybody. I could tell you guys a really funny story about Dan, but I'm not going to. No, I'll save it for a different day. I have something else in store for you. I'll save it for a one. Come Wednesday, hear a story about Dan from last Sunday. All right, um, we're going to start off this morning with an exercise at your tables. And all the cool people in the room are going to think this is dumb, but that's okay. Uh, but here's what we're going to do. Okay, you guys, um, we've been in the book of Proverbs the last few weeks, and it's, we start with this premise, this idea that when we're young, we're pretty much idiotic. Everyone agree with that, right? And you need great wisdom because of how much of an idiot we are as young people. So um, that's the premise we've begun with, with uh, this whole series. Now, uh, if you've heard anything about places like Alcoholics Anonymous, what they will do is, whenever you show up to an AA meeting, they will say, you have to say a certain phrase, a certain way of introducing yourself uh, to the group every single week. And the purpose of that, listen, the purpose of that is to remind yourself that that person is an alcoholic, that they need help. So this morning, we're going to remind ourselves that we're all idiots and that we don't know anything before we jump into this morning's discussion. So here's what we're going to do. At your table... You'll go around, you'll say your name, you will say this phrase, all right? My name is Gabe, and I am, I am an idiot, and I don't know anything, okay? And then everyone at your table is going to say, as loud as they can, hi, Gabe, okay? And so the idea is that when they say their name at the end of that deal, the whole table responds with hi, fill in the blank, as loud as you can, okay? So we're going to go around the tables, and uh, you guys go ahead and start now. Go, go. Okay, all right, so I think, we're, I think we're all done. I think we're all done. We're finished. So, so I was told, listen, listen. Man, why are you guys so loud? Stop being so loud, man. Jeez. Okay, so I was told that I can't be hypocritical. I've got to say it myself since I am a recovering idiot myself. So, uh, hi, everyone. My name is Dave, and I am an idiot, and I don't know anything. All right. Thank you. Yes. Okay, so uh, with that in mind, turn your Bibles to Proverbs. I'm going to bust out the spiritual card now. Turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. Now, before we jump in, we have been talking about, go to the first slide, the verse we have said from the beginning. Listen up. The verse from the beginning we've said, the most important verse I would say in the whole book is chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, read this with me out loud, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, I have brought you back to that verse over and over and over again because here's the deal. When you read Proverbs, it's very easy to lapse into the idea that this whole book is about just behavior. It's easy to lapse into the idea that this whole book is just about, hey, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. And we forget that it all comes back to this fear of the Lord, which takes place in the heart. Okay, It's all about the heart. Behavior flows from the heart. So I want you to get this. So even today, we're going to talk about the topic of laziness. Laziness. And if you just said, oh good, I can take a nap. It's like, no, I'm talking to you. Seriously. Right? So we're discussing laziness, but here's what I, I don't want you to miss this. It's very easy, especially as your parents say things to you like, Get off the couch. Quit being so lazy. It's very easy to focus on just behavior. We're going to look today at how there is so much heart stuff going on behind the sin of laziness. And it's got to come back to the sphere of the Lord. So look with me in chapter 6, verse 1. And here's what Solomon says. He says, My child, if you have put up security for a friend's debt, Bear with me on this because this doesn't sound like it doesn't apply to you at all, okay? We're going to connect it though in a minute. If you put up security for a friend's debt or agreed to guarantee the debt of a stranger, if you have trapped yourself by your agreement and are caught by what you said, all right? So the first part of the passage is going to talk about when someone who is maybe lazy gets in over their head with debt, and then they come to you and say, hey, you're like my best friend. Can you bail me out? This is advising against enabling lazy people, all right? So the first part we'll discuss how we shouldn't enable lazy people. The second part of the passage we'll discuss how you shouldn't be lazy. Now, in verses 1 through 2, he's talking about something that you guys don't really have issue with yet. He's talking about when someone asks you, listen up, to co-sign on what's called a high-interest loan. Anybody here ever taken out a loan, a personal loan? You're you're lying because you can't do that yet. Like a bank loan, right? So here's what he's describing. When you guys get to be like my age, you will have many loans probably, all right? And so like a house loan, car loan, student loans, all kinds of loans. So a high interest loan would be something like this. Like my wife and I, we have uh, about, we had about $38,000 in student loan debt, all right? Sound like a lot of money? Sound like a lot? All right, so, um, so here's the deal, though. If we pay that for, say, like 15 years, which we don't plan on doing it in that amount of time, but if you, pl- if you pay it in 15 years' time, we will pay almost 65000 That's why I had the backup mic. All right, so... Uh, we will pay over $65,000 once it's all said and done. This is a high interest loan, okay? And so what you don't realize at your age is that when you take out loans like this, it will totally mess you up if you take out a ton of loans of this, this kind of magnitude. So what he's saying here is if you have someone that you know who is irresponsible and asking you to co-sign with them on a loan, he's saying don't do it because it's like an animal falling into a trap, all right? So if you look on beyond this uh, uh, 
you might ask the question, how does this relate to you? I'll, I'll tell you how it relates to you. The decisions that you guys make about money in the next 10 years of your life will drastically impact your life. I'll tell you one story. We'll move on from this passage. Uh, my uncle, my mom's brother, was one of those guys who um, was like this. It's one of those guys where he had no idea of money, no common sense when it came to like how to run his life. So he was the youngest of four kids, and uh, my grandfather owned this uh, dairy farm in Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. And just after the Great Depression, my great-grandfather bought up like all these farms in the Virginia area. And they were, it was dairy farmland for like, it was like 5,000 bucks for like 300 acres. It was crazy, okay? And so he gives one of these farms to his son, which is my grandfather. So my grandfather basically gets one of these free farms after the Great Depression, decides to start farming the land. He has uh, my mom and he has uh, his other three kids there as well on the farm. They raise them there. Then my, my, my uncle, who's the youngest of that whole family, He's like the irresponsible one. He's like the, the loser of the family, so to speak. And so, not being mean, just the truth. Uh, but, so he's the kind of guy where he's like, he would rather like smoke weed than pull weeds. He would rather, he just didn't like to work. He liked to do drugs. He liked to get with the wrong crowd and so on. That was just what he did. So what he would do, he would go, uh, when he was 19, he decided to, move away from there, and go to Louisiana to try just something different. So he works on an oil rig for a while out in the Gulf of Mexico for a couple of years. Then he meets a woman. Uh, he gets her pregnant. Then they get married, which don't do it in that order, people, just so you know. It's always bad. And so he comes back to Virginia and says, I want to help you manage this farm to my grandfather. Grandfather feels like, well, you don't, you're not a really good worker. You're not really a good responsible person, but okay. So he gets his hands on this farm, and over the course of like 15 years, he, my uncle runs this farm into like a half million dollars of debt. And my grandfather has co-signed on all these loans for things, okay? And so once, once this reaches a point where he now has to sell the farm just to get out of debt, this is what happened. So my grandfather, instead of being able to sell the land when he got to be in old age and so on, he had to sell to get out of debt. So when he's like 65, 70 years old, he basically died with nothing. Like, my entire family could have been millionaires if we had sold the farm and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But he dies with nothing because my uncle talked him into co-signing on all these loans, high-interest loans, and he has nothing to show for it. And my uncle to this day is still impoverished, still has no career, no job to speak of, and this is how he's living his life. So the decisions that you make when it comes to money in the next 10 years or so will drastically impact your life and the people that are around you. Now you might ask the question, okay, why does all this even matter? In Matthew chapter 6 verse 21, uh, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What he's showing us is that what you do with your money shows where your heart is. So where does your money go? It says something about your heart. What you spend your money on says something about where your heart is. It reveals the idols of your heart. I'll give you a few uh, statistics. I was looking on the Google machine this week, and it said that uh, 
American credit card statistics are this. The average household has almost 16000 in credit card debt. That's just credit card debt. 16000 per household. That's average. That means there's a lot of people who have like 25, 30, 35, 40 grand in credit card debt. There are, in just the U.S. alone, there are 609 million credit cards. There's not that many people in the U.S., right? That's like half the population is 300, 300 million. So we're saying that there's like twice as many cards as actually people in the U.S. The average person who has a card, a credit card, owns 3.5 credit cards. Three and a half credit cards per person that actually owns a credit card. So here's what I want you to get from, from this passage and from what we're looking at uh, with this whole debt thing. I'll, I'll move on to the next part of it in just a minute. Here's the deal. Go to the next slide. Uh, if you have, like, in the next 10 years, so if you have someone that needs, that's in need financially that's around you, here's my suggestion. Give money, don't loan money. The Bible says be generous. It says be a giving person. That's something we should do. If there's a need, then try to meet that need with a gift. But don't get in the business of loaning people money because it just gets awkward, doesn't it? Like, ever loan money to a friend and said, like, yeah, yeah, pay me back, and, and it just gets awkward after that? You're like in the cafeteria, like, hiding from that guy and so on. It just, it just does not work out, right? And so my suggestion is give money, don't loan money. Because when you start loaning money like this, things get really awkward. The second point is this. Don't enable someone else's laziness. In the next few years, you're going to have friends come to you that are really irresponsible, lazy type of people, and they're going to say, hey, can I borrow this? Can I have this? Can, I, can you give me this? Can you give me that? And the issue is, if there's a real issue of laziness there, then you are sinning if you are enabling their laziness, right? You're a partner with them in that sin, if that's you. So don't enable someone else's laziness. Look at verse 3. Next verse. He says, follow my advice and save yourself, for you have placed yourself at your friend's mercy. Now swallow your pride, go and beg to have your name erased. Don't put it off. Do it now. I love that. Do it now. Don't rest until you do. Save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a hunter, like a bird fleeing from a net. Notice in verse 3, he says, swallow your pride. I think so often, sometimes at the heart of wanting to help someone, there's this prideful issue of, oh, I've got to save everyone. I've got to rescue everyone. There's something in us that feels like I've got to be everyone else's Messiah and, and, and step in and save the day, be the superhero, so to speak. And he's saying here, swallow your pride, because pride's what got you into this, thinking you could fix everything. That's what got you into the mess to begin with. And so he's saying, swallow your pride, and then step out of this commitment as best you can because you are entangled like an animal who's been trapped, all right? So once again, it's not wrong to help someone, but you've got to be wise in who you give your help to. So with that in mind, discuss uh, questions one through three at your tables. Go ahead and discuss. Okay, turn your attention to verse 6 now. This is where it gets really interesting. Look at verse 6 of chapter 6. 
Look at verse 6. And I'm using the, uh, the New Living Translation to make it more understandable. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. So the bi- there's name-calling in the Bible, so that means it's okay. Uh, so here's, here's a translation, though. If you have, like, another translation, anyone's Bible say sluggard? If you have the ESV translation, the NIV, it says sluggard. Well, no one here ever says sluggard, do they, in real life? But then again, you probably don't say lazy bones either, do you, right? So, but here's the translation. Listen, listen. So now he's turning his attention. Listen up. He's turning his attention now to the person who is lazy, the lazy bones person. Now, uh, he's comparing him. Let's just let this sink in for a minute. He is comparing him not to this guy's like older brother. He's not saying, hey, learn from your older brother. Why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you be like your sister? He's saying, why can't you at least be like the little insects in the front yard? Why can't you at least attain to that, right? We're going to start small here. Like, you know, you know it's bad when your role model has to be an ant, okay? You know you're lazy whenever that has to be your, the person you look up to, okay? Uh, so if, if this is where he has to go, this is already a, a bad sign. So, um, so here's, here's the deal. You guys have seen how ants operate, correct? Like, you've seen them, like, if you walk past an ant pile, there is no one sitting on the couch, there is no one, I mean, everyone is working, everyone has a job, everyone has a role, there's no one complaining about their role, there's no one watching Sports Center on ESPN, there's no one doing anything, everyone is working tirelessly, correct? In fact, uh, I have been known sometimes, there's these ants that will build a little ant tower of Babel, like right on my sidewalk, and, uh, and so just to humble them, I will go get a leaf blower and, and wreak havoc, okay? Anyone else do this kind of thing, all right? And I guess my, my, thinking is that if, my thinking is that if people have to experience hurricanes, then so should they, right? So, so I, I wreak havoc, but here's what happens every time, though. Listen, by the next day, the whole thing's like back the way it was, like, they work all night to fix what I, what I messed up. Well, this is the work ethic of a little tiny insect. And so what he's saying here is, if, if the little tiny insect that's in the front yard, the one that you stomp on, the one that you spray with bug spray, the one that you burn with a magnifying glass, that one, if that one is a harder worker than you, then you have problems. You are lazy, Right? And so if you look at verse 7, here's what it says. Verse 7. It says, Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. There's no one telling the ant what to do. Now, everyone says the queen, but the queen, her job is to make babies, and that's it. Okay? That's it. Right? She tells no one. Listen, listen. I'm serious. It's true. She tells no one else what to do. She's got wings, and she just sits around, okay? And so, but everyone 
Everyone is at work. Yes, yeah, she's the lazy. She's the one that can be lazy. True. Listen, shh. So, so they don't need anybody telling them what to do. Listen up. Listen up, guys. There is something that's just in their nature to say, we work. Why? Because we want to eat, right? We want to eat. And so if you look at verse 8, even the ant has a plan. Even the ant has drive, initiative. They show purpose. And so he's trying to bring this guy back to the idea that, you know, you're sitting there, you're, you're lazy, you have no drive, you have no initiative, you have no plan. You don't think about the future. You know, some people plan ahead. Some people just think about Friday, right? Some just think about the weekend and go, what am I going to do this weekend? Well, I'm doing this, this, and this. But they don't think about like a year, two years, three years from now. Even the ant thinks about that. Even the ant thinks about the coming season, and they're going to work towards that. Now, I know part of you might think, as I'm saying all this stuff, but Dave, just leave us alone. Like, we're in high school. I mean, get off our backs, right? But here, <laughs> I love the Napoleon Dynamite reference there. It was great. Uh, but, but here's what I've seen. Listen up. Here's what I've seen. Laziness now leads to future laziness. I've seen it play out time and time again. The hard issues that are in play right now, see, here's the issue, is that you don't recognize that the way you're acting right now, for some of you, is really about your heart. You don't see it as about the heart. You see it as about, okay, get off my back, just leave me alone. I know I'm kind of lazy, but isn't every high school kid, right? That's how you respond, but here's the, here's the issue, though. This all goes back to issues that are really taking place in the heart. Let's look at verse 9. Once again, he says, But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Could there be a better verse for you than verse 9? Right? How long will you sleep? When will you wake up? Now, I'm not saying here that sleeping in is always wrong. I do it if it's like a Sabbath-type day and I'm just taking a break for that one day. But here's the issue, though, guys. If this is like a habitual thing for you, where you're just like, okay, it's summertime, it's just like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You have like no drive, no plan, no initiative. I mean, this is what he's talking about here, right? I mean, there are some people that think that like every day is a Sabbath, right? They're like, I'm just trying to rest. I'm just trying to obey the commandment to keep the Sabbath holy. Well, there's one Sabbath out of seven days. Not seven out of seven days, right? And so if that's you, then you can listen to this. Now, recently I saw this, uh, I saw this guy. I go get my shots over at the allergy clinic here in, in Temple. I have bad, bad allergies. So I, go, I get a shot like every week. And so as I'm sitting there sometimes, I'm, I'm observing people. And there's this guy that comes in sometimes when I'm there, and he must be like in his late 20s, early 30s, but comes in with his mom. He always walks in like he just woke up. I mean, he's got this shaggy head of hair. He's like unshaven, and I can just tell that the guy has no job, no purpose, no plan, and he sits there waiting for them to call his name for his shot, just playing 
this really annoyingly loud video game, okay? And it's the waiting room, and it's just like really quiet except for this one guy who's just playing this video game. And I'm just looking at this guy going, man, this is, this is the path that some will end up on when you're 25, 30 years old if you don't have a plan right now. If you have no plan right now, you will have no plan later on. It, it will carry over into your, into your adulthood. I think, I think some of you guys see, you see your teen years as just like a vacation before real life begins. You see it as like, okay, this is time to party, time to hang out, time to have fun, which is, you know, I understand that to an, to an extent. But if that's your whole life, your whole lifestyle, there's no drive, no plan, no initiative, that's a problem. That's a real problem. And I know a talk like this, here's the direction I'm going to take this this morning, is um, I want to address the guys specifically in this. Now, girls, there are some really good passages and proverbs for you coming later on. So your day is coming, so be prepared for that. But for the guys, I want to address the guys for just a minute. And, and this stuff applies to the girls, but there are some things that in our culture we've got to address when it comes to the guys. I think especially when it comes to the church. And here's what I see. I see this over and over again with, with high school guys for the most part, is that a lot of the girls that I talk to will, will talk about the future, talk about their plans, talk about what they want to do. And a lot of the guys I meet, it's kind of like they don't have an idea, they don't have, they don't have a care, they don't really care about anything like that at all. Like planning for the future if you're a guy is like the dorkiest thing you could do, right? And, and so... So what I see sometimes is that girls often have this little bit more drive, a little bit more initiative, a little bit more of a plan to what the guys might tend to have. And, and I think what happens is, is part of the reason why the, the girls have this drive sometimes, they see a lot of guys that are unmotivated, and the girls are scared. Because they're like, how am I going to find a guy who's got it together enough to take care of his family for his wife and his kids. And so what's driving the girl sometimes is this great fear of, I may not find a guy like that, so I've got to make sure I've got my life together, I've got my plan together, so I don't end up impoverished. I don't end up lacking because of what the guys aren't taking their responsibility up on. In fact, it's not just me that says this, okay? It's not just me spouting off stuff as a youth pastor. There have been books written by non-Christians about this very thing. Here's two of them right here. This is a book called Men to Boys, and that dude's playing a video game just sitting on his lunch break at work. And uh, I own this book, read through it. And this is written by an unbeliever that's observing this trend in our culture with men especially that men have what they call the Peter Pan syndrome. I don't want to grow up. I want to be a Toys R Us kid, right? I just want to, I just want to push, listen up, listen up. I just want to push responsibility to the back burner. That will come later in life. That's adulthood. I want to play right now. And so what happens is, this is true of them spiritually, and it's true of them in just other aspects of life. And we see this trend. The next book is called The Decline of Men, How the American Male is Tuning Out, Giving Up, and Flipping Off His Future. Once again, written by a non-Christian. There are tons of books being written about this dynamic that I'm describing to you this morning. It's not just me spouting off these ideas. This is real facts, real stats. I'll read some other stats to you as well. 
It's true that uh, girls are killing guys academically. There are more girls today in college than there are guys. Uh, Over half of guys ages 18 to 24 live with their parents. 13% of guys ages 25 to 34 live with their parents. Um, In Italy, listen up, in Italy the stats are even worse. I went to Italy a few years ago just to go on a little vacation, and in Italy, over half of the men, get this, over half the men under age 35 live at home with their parents. Over half. So I'm 35 right now. Over half the men my age in Italy still live at home with mom and dad, right? And I want to encourage the guys, just real quick, listen up, listen up. I want to encourage the guys, if if you're a guy, if you just do some really simple things in your life, you will stand out to employers and women, all right? I'm serious, okay? Now, that's not why you should do these things. I'm just saying that, that comes with the blessing, right? That comes as part of it. If you want, hopefully, to eventually have a job, a godly wife, and some, some kids of your own, then, then you will do some very simple things that Proverbs lays out for us. You have a plan. You have initiative. You have drive, right? This is what this is, is talking about. So the question for the girls, girls, as you move towards marriage eventually, ask these questions of the guy you're about to marry. How does he handle his job? Can he keep a job? Is he always quitting? Does he show ambition? Does he show drive, initiative? Is he the guy that the boss looks to for leadership? And then for the guys, ask the same questions about the girl that you're about to marry. Is she someone who is just lazy, someone who has no work ethic, someone who has no drive or ambition when it comes to these kinds of things? Because here's what will happen. Laziness now leads to laziness later on. There's tons of excuses that people make as to why they want to be lazy now, especially at your age. I've heard things like, you know, but I don't want to be a workaholic. And here's the deal. Like, none of us are worried about that with you. Like, that's your concern, not ours, okay? Or I'm just trying to honor the Sabbath and and take a break and rest a lot, right? I mean, the purpose of the Sabbath is to rest from something, okay? So if if you're not resting from some work, it's not a Sabbath. It's just being lazy. Or how about this one? You know, I don't want to get caught up in the rat race. I mean, you're not in any race at all yet, right? So get into the race, and then we'll talk about the rat race. Here's the best one of, of all. Go to the next slide. This one's in the Bible. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the streets. What in the world is he talking about? Right? But here's the deal. What it's saying is that the lazy person, the sluggard, will go to every excuse to not have to work, even one as dumb as that, right? I mean, try that one on your parents. When they're like, they're like go mow the lawn, and you're like, uh, I'm going to quote some scripture to you. There's a line outside, and I'll be killed in the streets. There. What do you think about that? It's just scripture. I'm just quoting scripture, okay? But here's, what, here's, here's reality. Some will make any excuse imaginable for, for their laziness. And I want to bring all of this back to 
what I described earlier, this always goes back to the heart. Our goal here every Sunday and Wednesday is to expose the sins of the heart so you can take those to Jesus and be set free by Jesus. And I want to show you how this, uh, this works itself out with, with Christ in your heart in this issue of laziness. The root of laziness, guys, is really simple. It's spiritual pride. It's spiritual pride. If you go back to Genesis, you'll notice in the story of Genesis that work was given to Adam and Eve before sin entered the world. Work was given to them as a gift. That means they got to till the soil, cultivate the soil. They got to plant stuff. There was joy given to them in their work before sin entered the world. If you were like me as a kid, I thought work was like given to them after sin entered the world. That was my view. I thought they're sitting around like eating Twinkies and watching TV, just hanging out, and then they sin, and that's when God says, all right, get to work. Get your, get your hands dirty, right? But when you look at the, at the story of Genesis and the fall, work was given to them as a gift, as a blessing before the fall took place. And so if that's our view of work, that means that when the fall happened, here's what happened. When the fall took place, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, everything fell. The whole created order fell and became cursed. So it's not like work was given to them as a curse, but work itself became cursed like everything else did, like sexuality, like everything else became cursed. It became cursed after the fall. And so when you start there, you realize this is a gift from God to us. And so if I'm someone that struggles with laziness, my laziness is really rooted in spiritual pride because I don't like the fact that because of the fall, because of sin entering the world, I now have to work hard. I now have to toil and labor and sweat and bleed in order to make ends meet. And that's our reaction sometimes against the fall is this one of spiritual pride that says, God, I don't think I should have to live under the curse that you put us under because of our sin. And it's really your way of saying, God, I'm too good for that. I'm above that. But here's the reality, guys. Jesus, when Jesus came into the, onto this earth, he placed himself under the curse that you and I live under today. He subjected himself under the curse. And guess what Jesus was? He was a carpenter. One of the most difficult jobs you could possibly do. Which means that Jesus probably had scars on his hands before he went to the cross. That Jesus placed himself, subjected himself under the curse. And if Jesus can humble himself like that, then you and I can as well. And see, the idea here is that you let these things expose the sins of your heart when it comes to laziness. Let, take those things to Jesus. Let him change your heart and transform you. And so what I want to do is, is you guys go to your, uh, your last few discussion questions is let, ask yourself this question. What are some of the root sins of my heart that God wants to expose so I can turn those towards Jesus? Go ahead and discuss and pray when you guys are finished at your tables. Go ahead and discuss.